today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, a team of researchers with Brock University are looking into the health of those of us who have been working from home uh, during this pandemic, whether curled up on the couch, balancing on a stool at a kitchen island, or sitting up in bed. Man, has this not been life or what? Uh, people working from home during COVID-19 lockdowns have adopted a variety of positions as they carry out their day-to-day activities at their computers. How people are positioned as they work for hours at a time may unwittingly be causing short and long-term muscle and bone problems, says Brock University and their Department of Kinesiology. To talk more about all of this, uh, let's bring in Sean Baudet, Assistant Professor of Kinesiology, Brock University, and with us now. Sean, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. You know, it's interesting you bring this up because I remember at the beginning of all of this, uh, the company saying, you need this, you got this, uh, and yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, don't worry, don't worry, everything's great. And then about three or four months into it, you start noticing, man, my arm's hurting because my chair isn't right in the positioning of my, uh, of my mouse. Or in the case uh, of myself, I had a mic stand coming up between my legs as I'm talking as opposed to a, a proper boom that obviously affects my posture. Um, uh, I guess this is just the fallout of working from home, is it not, Sean? Yeah, it, it really is. And when you think about it, um, when we're in our normal workplace, like our, our employers, they have these different measures in place to keep us healthy, to keep us safe, right? So you think of things like an ergonomic mouse or a special microphone or even webcam setup. Um, that's something that we just don't have when when we're working from home. And I think back to myself early on in the pandemic, Uh, I was working at my kitchen table, uh, sitting on a stool some days and and balancing my young son all at the same time. And it's really not the work environment that that we're used to, right? So what are your concerns after a year and a half of COVID-19? Yeah, so the thing is with a lot of uh, musculoskeletal disorders, so things like lower back pain and, and carpal tunnel syndrome, they are kind of chronic overuse issues. Um, so when you think about it, we're, again, over a year now into the pandemic, and a lot of these lockdown measures may be slowly starting to take their toll on, on our musculoskeletal health. And that's really what we're trying to probe uh, with a new research study surrounding this. It's, it's to understand how your work environment and how your uh, physical activity kind of habits are, are impacting your day-to-day musculoskeletal health and wellness. So tell us about this study uh, and where you are at it now. Yeah, so the study that we're running, it's a, it's a new study. It's this online survey-based study. And what we're doing with this study is we're recruiting uh, full-time workers who were initially working um, at their place of work prior to COVID and then had to adopt their, their work strategies uh, in some to a home work environment. So uh, that's who we're, we're targeting with, with this study. And what we want to know is what they've been doing over the past year, really. So we want participants to compare and contrast their initial working environment at their place of work to their working environment at home and, and to comment on the availability of, of monitors or specialized equipment that may be um, protecting or preserving their musculoskeletal health. You know, it's amazing. When all this started, I think most of the concern was about technology and, as you said, balancing the kid on one knee and and your job on the other sort of thing. I don't think a lot of us really thought about how it was going to affect our health. But, you know, something as simple as having a computer screen in front of you that's at the right height can make a huge difference, can't it? Of course, yeah. And I think really what this research is getting at is looking at some of the secondary downstreams effects 
of this COVID-19 pandemic. I think there's there's clearly a lot of research that needs to be done to look at the primary effects of COVID. And, and what this is trying to understand is, is what are the effects of the lockdown measures that have been put in place? And, and how can we guide um, our, our adaptations to future lockdowns? And how can we guide um, new hybrid working models? That's really what we're looking at with this research. What about movement during this day? Uh, because, you know, uh, at least if you're getting up, you're going to work, you're, you're not sedentary, you're not just sitting there, where it seems that lots of us are getting behind the desk and just staying there for most of the day. How important is it for you to have some sort of routine that breaks all that up? Yeah, so in terms of, of preserving one's kind of musculoskeletal health and avoiding um, these types of injuries, I think that's that's first and foremost. If you can break up your workday, um, take a step away from the desk and go for a short walk. Um, that's one of the best things that you can do to offset things like lower back pain and, and things like carpal tunnel syndrome, which, like I said, are, are chronic overuse types of injuries. So um, one thing that I've noticed, at least in my own workplace, is that I kind of miss going door to door and between my office and my colleagues' offices. Yeah. That's something that I no longer have, right? And you kind of park yourself in, in one spot, but it's always good to, to stretch your legs and go for a walk. Uh, lots of people are incorporating or have uh, extra exercise routine because simply a lot of us are, you know, haven't been moving around as much as we were a year and a half ago. Um, is that enough? Because, I, you know, I've heard reports that, you know, working out for an hour or two is one thing, but the fact that you're sitting there and literally doing nothing for the other 22, 23 hours, that's not good either. Yeah, I think one thing to to kind of contemplate is the quality of physical activity, just like you noted. I think it's always good to to get up from a seated posture in terms of your musculoskeletal health. That's great. Um, but another thing that, that we are interested in preserving throughout the duration of this pandemic is aerobic health as well. And I think going out um, for a short run or maybe a vigorous walk might be a good way of, of challenging your cardiovascular system and, and kind of keeping everything moving the way it should. Is there, a, do you think there's more uh, disadvantages to uh, than advantages to working from home from a physical fitness standpoint? How, what would you like to see people doing? Yeah, I think what I would like to see is some sort of balance, I think. I think that's what we're really aiming for with this study is, is what is the balance of recreational physical activity or even workplace work-related physical activity and musculoskeletal health. So how can we replace what we would have been doing in the workplace, even if it was just light kind of day-to-day walking between offices? How can we replace something like that in a work-from-home environment? Um, In addition to that, we're also um, interested in understanding what types of potential ergonomic control measures we may be able to put in place as well. So, for example, if you're interacting with your computer or technology in a particular format, say maybe a laptop, uh, is that increasing the prevalence of, of pain or discomfort in a certain body region? So, for example, maybe like the, the neck region. So as, you know, obviously as this is slowly, uh, we're coming out of it. I don't want to say it's coming to an end, uh, but we're slowly coming out of this and getting vaccinated and such, more and more heading back to work, uh, more and more talking about a hybrid model, a bit of both. Do you think there's going to be more pressure on companies to make sure that, hey, if you do have someone working at home, you got to make sure they got the right equipment and, and the right setup? Exactly. And I think, I think that's something that we should be considering if we're starting to employ these types of hybrid models. I think... Like I noted initially, there, there are a lot of preventative measures in place um, within certain workplaces to preserve worker health and worker safety. And I think 
realistically, we should be entertaining the same kind of preventative measures in a home environment as well. So if a, if a work-from-home environment is something that we've transitioned to, I think it's certainly something that we should consider. Many are saying that, uh, you know, the great thing from working from home is it's less stress, don't have to do the travel. So it has certainly had lots of positive aspects to it. But are we perhaps losing sight of things like what you're talking about or or even physical fitness in general uh, just because we like the convenience of all of this? Yeah, it's no doubt uh, a more convenient convenient workplace, that's for sure. I think um, having some extra time to spend with the kids and, and with, uh, with your families, it's never a bad thing. Of course, <laughs> removing that, that painful commute is also another good thing. So I think there are certainly some perks. Um, but again, it's just trying to find that happy medium with maybe some other kind of musculoskeletal disorders that we tend to overlook sometimes um, and try and putting those in our foreview and forefront as well. So how do we get involved in this? Are you still looking for participants? Yeah, so we still are actively recruiting participants. And and like I noted, uh, it is an online survey. It takes about 10 to 20 minutes to complete. Um, To access the survey, there's recently been a piece put forward in the Brock News. So if you go to the Brock University webpage, um, listeners can access it there. Uh, Listeners are also free to to contact me or to follow me on Twitter at Sean Bodet. And I have the link posted to the survey there as well. All right, Sean Baudet is with his assistant professor of kinesiology, Brock University. They're looking for you. If you're working from home, they're doing a research uh, project at Brock, looking into the health of those who have been working from home during the pandemic and how it has affected their physical fitness. Sean, thanks for the time. Good luck with all of this moving forward. Thanks, Scott. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Olympics only a day away. Opening ceremonies tomorrow. Some uh, uh, events have already started, uh, but obviously issues in regard to the COVID-19 crisis that are experiencing there uh, with Co- uh, Tokyo underneath a state of emergency. Uh, the games still go on, though. Here's a report from ABC. In years past, the choice of what would and what wouldn't be played in any given year was left to the International Olympic Committee. Now they say, well, the local organizing committee can add sports for their own Olympics. Olympic historian David Wallachensky says that's how baseball and softball were brought back after a 13-year hiatus. Because the Japanese love baseball. (laughs) Baseball softball is one of five new or returning sports on the roster at these games. Jim Ryan, ABC News at the Summer Olympics in Tokyo. All right, let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with the Hamilton Spectator and host of Home Games Hamilton on YouTube uh, with the rest of uh, the local sports authorities. Uh, I understand he's uh, floating right now on some sort of inner tube with something uh, with umbrellas in it in a glass, and he is with us now. Scott, thanks for the time, uh, especially during your time. Yeah, no problem. Not quite floating, uh, but, um, you know, on vacation, and and the, the backyard is working. Go ahead. Come on. Couldn't you follow along with us and make it sound like, you know, you've got a volleyball game going on there. Uh, you're playing lifeguard and you'll only just take like 30 seconds with us because you've got such an action packed day going on yeah, there. Yeah, our backyard right now looks like those 1980s Bud, Budweiser commercials with the Van Halen song. <laughs> there you and go. That's Boston, more like Boston it. Boston Saturday Night Live with, uh, with, uh, 
Adam Sandler and yes. uh, what's Chris Farley. That, that's what our backyard looks like right now, yes. That's more the, paint, uh, the picture we're trying to paint here. All right, uh, you know, right up until the other day, there was chatter that the Olympics in Tokyo could even be canceled. I think that was more politics than anything. I, I, I'm not sure you can turn this bus Theoretically, around Theoretically, not done yet. So the yeah, guy who's in charge says up until the very last minute or even if we're in the middle of the Olympics and it looks like COVID is causing problems, we could pull the plug on this. I don't think anybody truly believes that, but they're saying so. And you got to think, what would that trigger be considering where they are now? What would have to happen in order for them to make that call? That's a great question. And I think you would uh, truly, I think what would have to happen is that there would have to be an outbreak in the athlete's village, and and this is all very gloomy and very dire and very maudlin, but you would have to have an athlete die. Truly, I, I oh really believe you would have to yeah. be at that point for them to seriously consider pulling the plug, and even then, I'm not sure that they pull the plug or they don't just take other measures. I mean, we're, we're this is we've talked about this before. This is now somewhere in the neighborhood of a $27 billion nut that they have put in place. They are going to pursue this and make this thing go ahead almost unless, uh, unless almost anything happens. I just like even a dead athlete. And again, it sounds so crass. I, I, I almost can't even imagine that stopping things at this point. Now, what about, we're certainly hearing about the odd athlete testing positive. Do we have any sort of uh, tally or count at this point? I've heard of five of them, but there could be others. And, and, you know, and I expect there will be more. I mean, as soon as you start getting people into the athlete's village, if one person came in with it, um, you know, they may have passed it to someone else and it takes a few days to, to pass around. So who knows? Um, but yeah, there have there have been some. I know there's a um, uh, the, the, there's an American beach volleyball player I know, and there was someone from the Czech Republic, and there was a skateboarder from somewhere Britain, I think, or something. But um, nobody of household name material yet. But there, there's another. You know, that's the other part of it, Scott. Is what happens if now Michael Phelps, for example, is not at the Olympics this year? But there's a guy with a name, or Usain Bolt. What if what if someone yeah. of that ilk? Who, who has a name or is in a sport that is, what if it's, if, if it's one of the NBA guys in basketball? You know, th- these are all questions we don't really have answers to because we've never been down this path before. And are, is, are all athletes vaccinated? Safe to say that? I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, you'll remember that probably two months ago, was it Johnson & Johnson or Pfizer? Somebody offered to vaccinate all the athletes before they got to the athletes village. I don't know if that ever got legs. I assume that you would not be allowing people into the athletes. Well, first of all, you're going to be tested um, and they have to be quarantined once they get there. I know they've all been there for 14 days or will before their event starts. So I I, I don't know the answer, but they, they certainly will have been tested a number of times and quarantined. You talked about the athlete's village, which, um, you know, well, cardboard beds and condoms. What more do we need to say? Um, <laughs> uh, but but uh, at the end of the day, I mean, there was one, uh, I think it was the American gymnast team, a gymnastics team that said they're not going to uh, participate in the athlete's village, that they were going to a separate hotel. Have we heard any more on that? No, although that's not entirely unique. I mean, back in the day in... Um in 1992, was it, in Barcelona when the 
dream team, the first dream team for the NBA players, the Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and Michael Jordan, they stayed in uh, an off-site hotel, and most of the NBA teams have before. There's been other athletes who have stayed outside the athlete's village. So that's not entirely unique. This is maybe for a different reason. Um, and, and But here's the thing. You are almost, I would think, taking more of a risk by staying outside the athlete's village at this point. Mm. If you're just staying in a regular hotel where you don't have the same controls and tests and everything else, I, I think you'd be taking a high, make, putting yourself at a higher risk of getting it. That's a good point. Uh, and at this point, only 23% of uh, Japan has been fully vaccinated. So that's a very valid point. Are you better to stay within a protected environment or venture out into uh, into the general population? That's that's a good point as well. Now, there is, uh, Scott, there is one other thing, though, about this. that I, you know, I, It has sort of caught me off guard. I think maybe Japan and North America are handling things a little differently because last i heard now you can correct my numbers on this i have been on vacation so I, you know i'm not i, I mean i may be up, i understand but, well, I, I heard that the japan they said that has 1800 new cases yes and i'm thinking to myself well wait a second how many millions of people live in japan yeah, yeah. and at one point in ontario we were having 1800 new cases a day and you're talking about the entire country of Japan, apparently, with 1,800, and they're under a state of emergency. Uh, that doesn't sound as emergent as maybe the, the picture is being painted. I mean, if we were talking about 30,000 cases a day or something, but, you know, I, I think that their, their level, their, their cap for what constitutes a state of emergency may be slightly different from what ours was. You bring up a very valid point, and on that note, Japan has reported about 853,000 cases, 15,100 deaths since the pandemic began, most of them this year. Still, the number of cases and deaths as a share of the population are much lower than in many other countries. So you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't sound... like We're talking apples and oranges almost, but it's... So do you uh, think they're being too cautious then in Japan? Well... You know, is it possible to be too cautious at this point, yeah. I guess, when you've got the eyes of the world on you? I mean, that's really the, the big thing, is if, if, if the Olympics weren't going to be there and every person on planet Earth was not watching Japan over the next two weeks, would you be as eager or quick to pull the plug or pull the trigger on a state of emergency? Uh, you know, I, look, if, if this was happening in Toronto, let's say, I think our level our bar for what a state of emergency might be would be definitely lower as well. The last thing you want is for your nation to be absolutely humiliated in the eyes of the world. So it's, it's you know, I, I keep looking for these numbers and saying, wait, state of emergency with those numbers for that country sounds low. But, you know, I, I mean, I, yeah. I understand the caution for sure. Uh, we've talked at length on this show with you many times about the cost of hosting these games, uh, what cities have to do, the hoops they have, the rings they have to jump through to get uh-huh. uh, a part of this, uh, even sponsorship to be the exclusive vehicle, the exclusive shoe, the exclusive fast food outlet, what have you, of the Olympics. Uh, how has this pandemic 
change that whole discussion? Because obviously earlier this week we heard of Toyota. Right. Uh, and again, these companies pay an astronomical amount to be the official vehicle, for for example, of the Olympics. And, and normally what happens is there's, you know, for a vehicle, for example, there might even be an Olympic model of a vehicle. Uh, they're using the rings in every single advertising that they ever have. Whereas now Toyota has, and this is only in Japan, but Toyota has, they're just running normal commercials. They're not really drawing any link to the games uh, and the sponsorship of their company. Uh, your thoughts on, on sponsorship and, and all of that moving forward, considering uh, the I, pandemic? I suspect we'll see Olympic linkage with Toyota and a lot of other companies in the ads here. But keep in mind. Yeah, apparently like it's going to happen in North America. But there, I guess it's a hot potato. Right. And I think you alluded to the numbers. It's something like 20% of Japanese right now, people are in favor of the Olympics going ahead. Like it's an overwhelming groundswell opposed to it at this point yeah. because of COVID. And so I think what will happen is there, they're, you know, like any company, you're not going to try and ruin your reputation. However, however, um, let's wait and see what happens if we're a week, a week and a half into this as we're getting closer to the end. And we all remember Vancouver, and we remember there were questions that the, uh, about Vancouver. There wasn't going to be snow, and there was a lot of other things. We were very concerned. And then things started going really well for Canada, and it became this, this national um, moment, this, this thing that we all coalesced around and we all celebrated. Yeah. If that happens in Tokyo, and COVID cases don't really impact the games, and if there's no outbreaks, and if Japan starts to do well, and if the the sense around the world is, hey, Tokyo has been amazing, don't be surprised, not, not that we're going to see it, but don't be surprised if some of these companies that are holding their fire right now on the Olympic connections don't pop some of those Olympic ads. You know, it, right. these people are on top of things. And, and if, if they can sell a product, if it looks like the, the things are in place for good feelings, those those feelings will be tapped into with advertisers. So it's all it's all going to be depending, I think, on the first week, week and a bit of the Olympics to see how this thing goes. Because they the last thing they want to do is have their brand attached to something that goes twirling down the toilet. But if it looks is, like things are going well, they'll they'll be all over it. Is there still value in hosting this or being a head sponsor and spending all of this dough? And again, this is a conversation we've had many times. Uh, they announced, I think it was Brisbane, uh, Brisbane uh, 2032, I believe it was. Uh, Australia gets the Olympics back. There was no contender. So now is it a point? Is it now a case of you just make an appointment and host the Olympics? There's no real competition for it anymore because people are really, cities are really, host cities are looking differently at this than they did maybe even 30 years ago. So you just asked two different questions uh, under one umbrella. Is, is it good for advertisers, sponsors, and is it good to be a host city? Um, advertisers, I think so. I think there is still uh, plenty. There will still be plenty of eyeballs. There hasn't been the hype leading into this, but I think they will still do fine in the ratings. Again, assuming, especially in the States, assuming the American team does okay. Uh, the hosting, that boy, that's a, that's a trickier one. That is definitely a trickier one. And you know, you're right. Brisbane got 2032, and I think people are genuinely around the world who are who follow the Olympics are really excited about that because let's not forget Sydney was one of the all-time greatest Olympics as far as just good feelings and the party vibe and Sydney was just a fun, great memory. 
And, you know, if Brisbane can follow that, and one other thing, the Olympics lately, look who's been applying or trying to host and who's been getting it. You had Sochi get it. A, yeah. a, a, not exactly an open government. Not a, You know, they spent $50 billion, which you could never do in a democracy, but if you're Putin, you can spend whatever the heck you want. Uh, Beijing is getting it. Beijing just had it a little while ago. Um, I think the Olympic movement, you know, they always say we want to be the movement that you know, that changes the world and brings peace and harmony. I think they're at a point now where they're saying, we'd love for some cities that aren't run by authoritarian regimes to be running this thing so we don't have to deal with all this crap. And And again, they ran in that that direction as interest in it in in the other parts of the world seemed to to wane. It'll be fascinating, especially after getting through uh, Japan. And you mentioned Beijing is on the horizon. That's going to be another circus too, isn't it? Well, and, we're, you know, there are still questions about whether or not there might be boycotts. And, you know, that's a, that's a whole other issue, because if a number of countries were to boycott Beijing, then you got to believe that, that China and a number of other countries will retaliate and boycott the next one, uh, which, you know, who knows where that leads down the road. Who knows what happens to the Olympics? I mean, it's it's these are... These are some perilous times for the Olympics, and I mean, I you know, I know that it seems like it's the organization and the games that just can't be stopped. But let, let's go back to where we started this. If this thing goes south, and, I, and look, I, I really, I just can't picture an outbreak of the like that is going to cause the entire Tokyo Games to collapse. But yeah. if this thing were to go horribly south, and the Olympics, this games alone could cause irreparable damage to the brand. And then your next stop is Beijing, where you've got all these geopolitical situations going on, and the two Michaels and everything else, and possible boycotts. You could be looking at potentially, I don't expect it, but potentially back-to-back disasters for this organization. And that would be very difficult to rebound from. All right, uh, opening ceremonies tomorrow, but some uh, competition has already started. Uh, What about Team Canada this year? Well, um, we'll see. I mean, we, I know that our women's softball team has uh, beaten Mexico and lost one nothing to the States. So um, yeah. for those who are deeply into women's softball, there you go. There's your, <laughs> there's your start. Um, and uh, what was the other thing that just started? There's another oh, soccer. And we tied yes. with, uh, Japan in soccer. Uh, although, you know, most people didn't even pay attention to that. They just saw the U.S. women's team lose to Australia. And that was good enough for everybody. Um, to watch the uh, watch the Americans get their butts handed to them, there was there was much joy about that. Um, who knows? Who knows what what this Olympics will be? Again, it's it's been very different. It's five years, not four. So some of the training schedules have been off. Some of the um, you know there's we there's so many unknowns about this, and you know even people like Penny Alexiak, who was so amazing at the last Olympics yeah. in Rio. And is now being seen as, you know, well, Penny Alexiak, sure, she's going to sweep the pool. Who knows? I mean, we just, we just, it's been so long since we've seen these athletes. Who knows what they're really going to do? Um, let's just hope, let's, because there is nothing, Scott, you know, for all the problems that the Olympics have, and, and again, all these issues and everything else, there, there are a few things that do bring Canadians and any other country, but bring Canadians together. And we've seen that. We've seen that in some of these other Olympics that bring them together like great performances and like someone or some team that we can rally around and just feel great about. 
Uh, you know, we all, we've talked at length for the last year and a half on how things are, are going to change coming out the backside of this pandemic. And, and after being in it so long, it's pretty hard to see how anything remains the same. And the same goes for the Olympics. It'll be interesting to see, um, you, you know, how they move forward and if their success continues or it, or it falters, uh, as people look at this and say, well, you know, is it really, is it really where we are right now? It'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, of course, the Olympics will continue, but it'll be interesting to see, uh, how they fare moving forward and especially with Beijing coming up. And especially with empty stands. We watched, you watched everyone listening, watched some NHL over the last year. Yeah. We saw the empty arenas in Canada. We saw the jam-packed arenas in the playoffs. It's a totally different atmosphere, environment, yeah. viewing experience. And to see the 100-meter final, men's or women's, line up with an empty stadium is going to be really, really, really weird. Along with, you know, think about the pool. Think about those those close finishes when they hit the wall and come back for the last length and they're neck and neck. And there's just the crowd screaming. And now you're going to be able to hear crickets. It's just, it's going to be really weird, and it's going to be interesting to see if we have the same feelings watching it that we would have if that environment was there. When you leave, can you just sit the phone down and do a cannonball into the pool? Uh, you know what? I could, except I'm dressed. and <laughs> That would be even better. Yeah, I'm sure Will has a great sound effect. So Will is just chewing it up right now, and it'll make it sound like it. And, um, and uh, and the cleaners. I next time. Next time I will do the cannonball. But you can hear me swing in the hammock if you'd like. That's good. Yeah, needs, <laughs> that's. I can hear the e e e e. There you go. Uh, Scott yeah, Radley with his drink for you if you'd like. Oh, that would be worse. Uh, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with the Hamilton Spectator, host of Home Games Hamilton on YouTube with the crew. Scott, as always, thanks so much for taking the time during your holiday. Greatly appreciate it. Scott won't be on tonight, but make sure you're listening next week. Thanks, Scott. Be well. Thanks, Scott. You too. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.